Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code staple two zero. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And boys, for a while, I was worried we were going to go the entire time in between podcasts without a win. But the Orioles, they came through. They won a game. They won two games. I know. I mean, I mean it's really good. Our, uh, our schedule got delayed. Uh, so we gave the Orioles a few more games here to get a win. We were going to record a few days ago when we were in the middle of the losing streak, but uh, that was not possible. So some things happened. Yeah. Right. And we're coming back with the resurgence of Keegan Aiken. Absolutely. I mean, late, man. he's a late season, you know, applying for his uh, chance at rookie of the year, maybe. I mean, there's an outside <laughs> chance there. If we go just based on like August 27th through the end of the year, I don't right. know. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe if he threw like a perfect game every outing from now to the end of the season. We, um, we, we could do the math on that. Maybe he could get his ERA under five. That's yeah. That's what yeah. I was going to say. If we do the math, it probably would still be a pretty ugly ERA, but he was good for one night and that was really fun. Um, and the Orioles, they ended the streak in interesting fashion, beating Shohei Otani. I mean, they didn't really beat Shohei Otani. Like he, right. got, he left the game with a lead, but they, they lost, they won the game that Shohei Otani pitched in. So that's cool. We were the only team this entire year to Homer off of Shohei Otani three times in one start. Incredible. The one thing I will say about that game, like, okay, good for us. You know, we we could celebrate. Um, (laughs) I mean, we we were talking about it. Like Shohei was off that night and I was watching him and I was very excited to see Shohei Otani pitch, of course. Right. Um, And I was kind of, there were, there were glimmers of his greatness, but, there was some I was a little disappointed I wanted to see like classic Shohei Otani you know um but I'm glad we won the game and snapped our streak so that's the other half of it yeah I mean it was we were texting it was very humid that night who knows if that had an impact on Shohei also struck out three times I think which he strikes out Mm -hmm. a lot anyway but it was against Chris Alice twice which was interesting Um, astounding yeah just like every every pitch, every other pitch, he was like wiping all the sweat off his forehead. And, you know, the, I think the humidity was definitely getting it to him. And his breaking stuff was just not working at all. Like every like especially early in the game, like all the breaking stuff ended up like above the strike zone. Right, right. But I, I mean, yeah, show I had an off night, but we took advantage. The Orioles took advantage and then beat up the Angels bullpen because the Angels bullpen is terrible. And that's what a you disaster. Did yeah. And the Orioles offense, of all the bad things you can say about the Orioles, the, the Orioles offense is competent, I think, yeah. in general. They didn't look competent during the losing streak, <laughs> but overall they're competent. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess, you know, let's let's kind of like look back at the losing streak, though, a little bit. Like now that we're kind of 
separated from it a little bit. Um, was it as bad as it felt the whole time? Or do you have any like sort of reaction to the losing streak in general? I, Jesse saying yes. No, it, it was it was as bad as it felt, <laughs> I think. I mean, we lost 19 in a row. I mean, 19, 19 in a row is very, very difficult to do. Like just the fact that one of those nights you don't get a really good starter or you get a, an opponent that uh, their starting pitcher has a disaster of a night you know, and they just team will give you some errors. So many things can happen in baseball that can provide an opportunity for a win. And the fact that that never happened at all, that's just, I mean, it's terrible, but um, no, I mean, I think the losing streak felt really bad. I think we played really bad (laughs) and it was, it was just uh, the, of course the pitching was, was bad, but um, the, the offense just, produce nothing like during the during the the uh the time we uh were losing all those games so it's funny you cue in on that because to me yes the offense wasn't that incredible obviously but we had uh i just saw this fan graphs blog on it they said we had a 94 weighted weighted runs created plus that is always the hardest thing to say weighted runs created plus um but it was it was 94 which was 19th out of 30 teams you know that's not that bad our pitching on the other hand (laughs) during this streak the average start during that streak there were more runs allowed than innings pitched we averaged 4.53 runs allowed per start and (laughs) 4.1 runs or innings Per start, just like unimaginably bad. The entire team's ERA was 8.09. Our whip was over 1.8. We were giving up 11 hits per nine, walking four per nine. We gave up 40 home runs, just like unimaginably bad. It's hard to really comprehend just how bad that truly is. The The other thing I'll say about it is, you know, Tyler a while ago was talking on the podcast about how the Orioles were just not competitive and how we were getting blown out. Uh, And that definitely appeared like throughout the losing streak. We lost 16 to two to Boston, nine to two to the Rays, 10 to zero to the Rays, seven to two to the Rays. Um, So we had 14 to eight. We lost to the angels. So throughout the losing streak, we definitely uh, got blown out uh, our fair share, our fair share of games. Yeah, we lost 13 to 1 to the Yankees and 12 to 3 to the Rays at other. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, it is. I was looking at like what the schedule was uh during the losing streak and the Orioles did play a bunch of like pretty good teams though. You know, like it started in New York. They had three games against the Rays. They did get swept by the Tigers who are like not a good team but they've been better in the second half. The Red Sox have been in first place most of the year. The Rays again for four games and then the Red Hot Braves. Like it was a tough schedule combined with the Orioles being incompetent, especially on the pitching side of things. Um, You know, so just sort of like a a combination of factors that made for a 19 game losing streak. You know, I, I don't think the Orioles are as bad as their losing streak would indicate they are, but they're certainly not a good team. And it provided like, a lot of fodder for media outlets to kind of like continue to bash the team, which was predictable yet 
annoying repeatedly every single day, especially from the athletic for whatever reason, the athletic has been like pounding the Orioles for the last month or so. Um, But I'm glad it's over. Or at least the losing is over. The pounding of the Orioles is not quite, not quite over. Um, Well, and the losing streak is over, but the losing is not over. Correct. (laughs) They did lose again on Friday night. um, And that was unfortunate. Um, But anyway, uh, I mean, do you guys have anything else to say about the losing streak before we kind of move on? Not about the losing streak, but we're recording this and DJ Stewart just like ran into the wall trying to catch a foul ball. And he came nowhere close to it naturally. (laughs) DJ Stewart is starting to get like a a lot of ire on Twitter. Like he is the main target for a lot of like, why is that guy in the lineup every night? And I know he hits home runs, but the guy cannot field. Like we were, we were, we were complaining about Mountcastle in the field. Stewart might be worse. Defensively. He's atrocious. And it's not just that (laughs) it's not just that he doesn't get to the ball, which so much of the time he doesn't get to the ball. But some there's so many times he like barely overruns it and like lets it drop and like he just looks so clumsy and uncoordinated out there that it, it just it would naturally make a fan watching him kind of say to themselves, "How is this like a major league out athlete out here playing this position right now?" Yeah, I, it it also kind of makes you wonder like. You know, Mount, Ca- Mount Castle got yanked from the position. You know, he just is not an outfielder anymore. And with DJ Stewart, that's just not the case. They've just kept running him out there. And, you know, I, I get that, like, Mount Castle started as an infielder and all this stuff, but it wouldn't be that hard to teach DJ Stewart first base. Excuse but so, but, yeah, but it, it doesn't really solve the problem, though, because we have Mountcastle, Mancini. Yeah, no, and, no, no. I mean, it, it's clogged up. Stewart. He's a liability. He's, yeah, it's clogged up at first. Don't get me wrong, but he's a liability out there, and they keep throwing him out there. Well, well I they, think they want, their, they want their bats. Right. They want that, all three of them in the lineup, so how else do you do it? Well, that's fair. And, I mean, that could, you know, while Mancini, I think, is on the block anyway this offseason, it might make it even more easy to be like, all right, Let's trade Trey and make DJ like the DH. Although I don't think that's a great idea either. Cause I don't think DJ's like that good of a hitter that he deserves to be a DH every day. Um, so I'm not sure. I guess they're just hoping that the offense can be good enough and the, and the defense can be passable that it makes him like a worthwhile player. But that hasn't really been the case this year. Cause he hasn't hit home runs at the rate he was last year, which, you know, not that we expected him to, but um, it's been a bit of a disaster, bit of a disaster. Um, all right, well, let's talk some good news because there was good news. And MLB Pipeline has updated their farm system rankings and one, top 100. And all of that has added up to the Orioles now being the number one ranked farm system, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, some of the highlights here, the Orioles have uh, now not only the number one player in base, number one prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman, but they also have the number one pitcher in baseball, according to Pipeline, Grayson Rodriguez at number eight overall. Uh, baseball America had previously anointed Rodriguez as the top pitching prospect in baseball. Also in the top 100 are DL Hall at number 78, Gunnar Henderson at number 80, and new draft pick Colton Kouser at 83. The orders have jumped up from being ranked fifth in the preseason rank by MLB pipeline up to the number one spot. And I mean, this is good. This is kind of what we were all hoping with for Mike Elias. So Eli, is this like mission accomplished? 
or what do you think? Um, <laughs> it, I'll call it a submission. You know, there, okay. there, are, there are stepping stones on the way to the large mission and we have made it to one of those stepping stones. Um, no, I mean, it's pretty tough to argue with what Elias has done. Uh, we've infused a lot of talent into this system. We've continued to refine some of the talent that was already here, like Rodriguez. And I think uh, hopefully next year we'll get to see some of the fruits of that labor. I think that uh, seeing Kowser on the list is pretty exciting. Um, seeing Gunnar Henderson starting to make that jump is also super exciting. Uh, and, you know, he's still just 20 years old, so there's probably a lot of room to move upward on that list from the 83 or whatever that he's at now. I think, um, yeah, I think it's just good news. I think it's good to see, and it restores a little bit of faith in the world. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we've all thought about with Elias when he came in was he's going to, you know, improve the minor league system and kind of get the Orioles going in the right direction. Uh, you know, Jesse, now that we're kind of at the number one spot now, Eli kind of hinted at it that we're going to start to see some of the fruits of that labor next year. Does your attention maybe turn after this offseason from building the farm system to building a competitive major league team based on this farm system? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think the priority, uh, of course, is going to be the pitching for the Orioles this offseason, but I think they're going to try to patch up some holes basically around these these guys who they're expecting to be up within the next couple of years. So I feel like major there will be some major league free agent signings coming up um, at some key and valuable positions that um, that won't be immediately addressed by the farm system. You think that happens this year? I, I think there are going to be a couple light signings, like one-year deal uh, signings, like okay. uh, which kind of always happen. We signed yeah, Franco. We, we signed, uh, yeah, but um, but yeah, I would say probably like the next off season. I think you're going to maybe find like a two or a three-year deal or or something like that with. Uh, I don't know, maybe signing an outfielder or um, yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. I do kind of think that this off season, they need to take addressing the pitching a little more seriously because I think that you can make the argument that how bad the pitching has been this year has been detrimental to the development of some of the guys that you would hope to be long-term pieces around here. I mean, yanking Alex Wells up and down kind of, I mean, Dean Kramer, I think they thought was going to be in the big leagues this year. And that just has been a bit of an issue. And they are, I think, they made the decision later in the year to just kind of keep him down. And I think that probably was the right decision for his development. Um, but it's been a little bit of a, of, of a fiasco there. So I would like to see them go get, I think you said Martin Perez. Is that, did yep. you mention him? I think <laughs> I that could it. be a good signing. I think Zach, like a Zach Davies, maybe like I could see you given a Zach Davies, like a two year, $16 million or something like that, because He'll probably be a number five and that's perfectly fine. You need a guy that's going to give you like 150 innings with like a 4.5 ERA or something, you know, like you need something in the rotation that is like big league quality. And as good as Grayson Rodriguez might be when he comes up, you need other pieces in the rotation to kind of make it feel like a big league roster. So I'm with Jesse that I think the Orioles will wade into the free agent waters a little deeper this off season. And I don't think it's totally ridiculous to expect them to be involved with Carlos Correa to some degree. Like, I know that's like a huge, going to be a huge contract, but 
He's young. He's only 27, I think, still. He's got that relationship with Michael Elias, whatever that's worth. And I could convince myself to give a 27-year-old a nine-year contract because he's going to be good. He's going to be good for the next like four or five years. After that, who knows? But, you know, you can bring up a Gunnar Henderson, a Jordan Westberg, and put them at second base or third base or whatever and, and make it make sense to me. So I'm not sure I'm convinced the Orioles will sign Carlos Correa, but I would not be shocked to see their name attached to him during the offseason. I guess my thing with that is I'm definitely not opposed to it. Of course, I would love Carlos Correa. I just feel like if Elias is going to make a big splash signing like that, I I feel like, and granted, you know, in a nine-year span, the Orioles are not going to be good all of those nine years. So if it happens to be the first year that the Orioles are not good when we have that player, fine, you know, have it be that way. But I just feel like, he would probably make a big move like that further down the timeline than this off season. But uh, maybe it is a particular situation because of Elias's relationship with him. Maybe Correa is sort of an exception in this, in this case. And the Orioles do try to go after him. I mean, one thing I'll say about him too, is that he, he, he gets hurt a lot. And quite frankly, you know, he has yet to really put together a full season. And for that reason, you might be able to drive down his price a little bit. Um, and, you know, with Lindor being off the market, with Javi Baez kind of sucking, with Trevor Story kind of sucking this year, I think the market for shortstops is not going to be as, you know, crazy competitive, all-out bidding war as most people expected it to be this year. So it could be a little bit more competitively priced, Um if the Orioles are looking to looking to do some shopping. Yeah. Well, and the free agent prices, I think always like at this time of year are higher than they end up being, you know, for a while we thought Manny Machado was going to get like insane numbers and he still got a big number, but it was like a hundred million dollars less than I think what a lot of people were thinking for a long time. Um, And I think something similar could happen with Correa there. I mean, he's been really good this year. He had an okay season last year in the abbreviated year. I, I just like, as a talent, he's so far up there. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Orioles should be involved with the big-name shortstops. I'm not sure they're going to get one, but if you can get a big-name shortstop that you're happy with, um, try to. And Correa, in my opinion, is the cream of the crop compared to Seager or Story or even Marcus Simeon, if, if you can include him in there, even though he's played second base this year. Um, but, yeah, it, it's big money, and ownership would have to get involved, and that gets dicey too. I was also going to say to to the points you're both making is that Correa is a top five shortstop in baseball. And maybe the year after this upcoming year, there isn't one of his caliber available. So maybe this is the time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We're going to talk offseason stuff, uh, you know, probably in a month or so when when the Orioles are. Well, they've already been eliminated from the first wild card spot and the AL East (laughs) crown. So, but the second wild card spot's in play. So there's something to play for down the stretch here. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's awesome that the Orioles are regarded so well. Pipeline thinks they're good. Uh, Baseball America thinks they're really good. Um, however, and now we're going to transition. This is called a, a segue to oh, wow. another topic. Wow, that was smooth. So professional. As butter. <laughs> Dan Connolly from The Athletic wrote an article. I think it was actually late last week. 
but we, you know, we're a little delayed here, but we're going to talk about it now. He wrote an article for The Athletic called The Dirty Little Secret of the Orioles' Rebuild is the Pitching Cupboards Nearly Bare. Uh, in this article, which uh, inflamed a lot of emotions on Orioles' Twitter, uh, Connolly talks to two unnamed scouts who basically go over every notable pitching name in the Orioles system. And they say that, yeah, they think Rodriguez is like a, a number two or a number three with a ceiling of an ace. And they think DL Hall is a major league rotation piece, if he can stay healthy, and then basically picks apart most of the other names, says that a lot of them could be relievers. Some of them are back end pieces, but you know, there's no obvious like five man rotation here. So Connolly comes to the conclusion that like, if the Orioles are going to get out of this, they need more pitching and the pitching answers are not all in the system. Um, I wrote an article on Camden chat, basically responding to it. Eli, I'm sure you have some thoughts. So I'll go to you first. Kind of what were your thoughts on the article and maybe just, I don't know, what's your take on the Orioles pitching situation down in the minor leagues? Yeah, I think that um, it, it, I'm going to give kind of a disappointing answer because we have, well, this past off season, you know, the thing that we kept saying is, uh, the Orioles don't really have that one guy, but they got a lot of depth. You know, we've got a bunch of those guys who are just about ready to rock. And what I hate to say is I, I think we do have a number. I mean, I think we probably have more quadruple A pitchers in the Orioles system and guys that will top out at that, like kind of triple A to MLB shuttle uh, than just about anyone else in the majors. You know, I think we have a super high floor of talent relative to most systems. Um, I think that's partially a result of our like development pipeline. I think it's partially because the Orioles have been savvy about the way that they've, uh, you know, brought guys in. That being said, you know, the argument that there is not an MLB rotation to be found in our minor league system, I think is a valid one. Um, you know, the point that Tyler had made to us and, you know, I, he, he might've made it in his article too. I didn't actually read your article. It's nothing personal, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, the big thing to me is that you don't have to build an MLB rotation entirely out of homegrown talent, you know, that very, very seldom happens. And so if we can get Rodriguez and like, if we can get Hall to turn into a number three starter with a bunch of walks and kind of the high upside, even if he's a long rotation piece and we can get one or two more guys to turn into our number four and five starters going out and trading for or signing your two and your three is not that ridiculous. Um, and actually like the next article we're going to talk about uh, kind of alluded to that, you know, so the expectation and kind of comparing this Orioles farm system to the bar of, are we going to have, a five-man rotation that is star-studded with four all-stars built out of this farm system? No, the answer is no. Um, but do we have some interesting stuff? Yeah, I, I think we do. And I think we're about as well set up as any farm system in the bigs is, which, I mean, you know, we were just given that number one ranking. I think that does allude to our depth just as much as it alludes to the high-level talent with Grayson and Adley. Yeah, I mean, so to give people kind of a synopsis of, my article uh, at Camden chat is Hold on, Tyler, Tyler, stop real quick. Tyler <laughs> just wrote in our outline, 
Tyler's really, really good article and link to it. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, I think it's noteworthy and it's relevant (laughs) to the conversation. So I included in the article, but but what I say in the article is, is, is kind of what you just said there, which is um, yeah, the Orioles might not have that rotation in the minor leagues right now, but I don't think almost any system in the league has that in the minor leagues right now. Um, And I cite in the article that baseball America did a study uh, or they released a study or I don't know, they, did, they did some research and uh, they put an article together in February where they looked at every team's minor league system from 1998 through 2012 and wanted to look at how many of those players turned into major leaguers at any one time, uh, how many of those players turned into major league regulars, which were they determined were players that spent at least three full seasons in the, minor, in the major leagues. And that could be broken up into six seasons where they play half a season each or whatever. And then how many players in the minor leagues turned into all-stars. And what they found were that at any one time, a major league organization will have 35 players on average that turn into major leaguers, um, 11 that turn into big league regulars, and three to four that turn into all-stars. So if you cut that in half for pitchers, because they included pitchers and hitters together, you'd have five or six um, big league regular pitchers and two all-star pitchers. So for me, that's kind of where the Orioles are at right now, um, which is that the Orioles are, they got a bunch of guys like Kyle Bradish or Mike Ballman, a Dean Kramer, guys like that, that are probably going to be big league regulars. They might not be great, but they are going to be probably decent. And then I think you can argue that Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall could be all-stars. Maybe they won't be, but I think it's reasonable enough to like project them as that right now. Their top 100 guys. Rodriguez is like the best pitcher in minor league baseball, according to a lot of people. I think that's reasonable enough. So like, yeah, the Orioles don't have a five-man rotation in the minor leagues, but I don't think that that's necessarily that shocking or surprising. And I think we should be expecting Mike Elias to eventually make trades to get those five guys. If you look at the Astros in 2017, they did that with getting Justin Verlander. They signed Charlie Morton the offseason before. Um, the Orioles get connected or like compared to the 2016 Cubs a lot. They had, you know, uh, a big free agent signing in John Lester. They had a reclamation project in Jake Arrieta. They had Kyle Hendricks, who was largely homegrown, but was traded for as a minor leaguer. And they had like, I think, um, Jason Hamill and uh, somebody else at the back of the rotation. I forget who the name is, but it was another free agent guy. It was um, John Lackey. So I think that's kind of what the Orioles are going for. And they've clearly made it a a strategy to draft hitters, not pitchers. And I think eventually these hitters we draft are not going to make it to the big leagues with the Orioles. I think we should be prepared for maybe if we get the first overall pick next year, maybe that guy makes it to the majors, but it's entirely possible that like the competitive balance pick, that'll be like 30th overall, that guy won't make it to the majors with the Orioles. He'll be traded for uh, a pitcher in the future. Um, so I disagree with Connolly's conclusion that it's bare, but I could be convinced that it's average rather than like superb. Whereas I think the hitting in the, in the organization is like fantastic. Um, Jesse, I don't know. What's, what's your take on the whole situation? Um, yeah, I, I, I basically uh, have a consensus here with what I both think you're thinking. I think it is a deep farm system. But I think the top of the line uh, prospects uh, in terms of pitching prospects um, are not we don't we don't have uh, 
the aces probably i think that uh Connolly is hoping for i guess uh that a team or an organization would have um but i think what that ends up doing is i think it does put some pressure on Grayson Rodriguez um because i do think Grayson Rodriguez is kind of a must hit for the Orioles i feel like um of course anything can happen but if we if Grayson Rodriguez does not turn out somewhat how we want him to, I I feel like our trajectory is going to get really, really just uh, dis, not dismantled, but infringed upon or something like that. Right. I'm mm. not finding the exact words, but I, I do think Grayson Rodriguez uh, is kind of in a position where he really has to be the ace that we need him to be the one or the two starter that we, that we need him to be. Um, and if he doesn't do that, then I, I'm, I'm very concerned. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we have, like Eli was saying, I think we have potential four and five starters in the rotation. I mean, the thing people also have to keep in mind is you really never know how these things are going to work out. Um, we have uh, John Means on our team right now who was not at all projected to be the the starting pitcher that he is right now. So hopefully, uh, especially with the good organization built, the good coaching staff, the good uh, uh, yeah pitching coaches that we have in the minors to develop these guys, hopefully, you know, one of these, the Michael Ballman type prospects, are going to turn into an ace or the DL hall will not be a four, you know, but will be a two instead or something like that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully with, you know, one or two of these guys, we're going to kind of strike gold. And then, yeah, you, if you have Grayson Rodriguez being ace, if means is still around, there's one starter. Um, and, and yeah, whether it be DL hall or Ballman or something along those lines, there's three and um, you know, let alone all the other pitching prospects we have down in the minor leagues who could play some role in the rotation then you you go sign a couple a couple starting pitchers right um so i mean i think i think the other thing is uh, i don't know i mean the i do feel like grayson rodriguez is very very important as i'm saying but the game is not like it was 10 years ago where you know you go out there with dominant starting pitching right the game is more reliant upon the bullpen now so uh even when the orioles made uh the playoffs in you know 2014 um wasn't chris toman our number one starter at that time right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Definitely. and and he's not a max scherzer he's not a, a justin verlander and we were still a very successful team. We made it to the ALCS. Beat so, the team with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. I, I will say, though, that I think, you know, obviously the intent of this whole rebuild is to get a World Series. And I think World Series winning teams have two or three absolute studs in the rotation. I mean, you need somebody to go out there and take the ball you know, to win that wild card game or to win like a game six where you're, you know, you're down three, two, and you need to win game six to get to game seven. Like, I, I, I think that the playoffs are, I think the playoffs play up the importance of starting pitching. I think in the regular season, it's not quite as important and a bullpen can get you through to an extent, but because everybody 
you know, has extra days off during the playoffs, you know, to jump to the other, like the other team's stadium and whatever, then you're always up against the other team's number one, number two, number three guy. And so you've got to come with your number one, number two, number three guy. And I think that, I think because of that, I think starting pitching plays up in the playoffs. So I I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I'm not, of course, starting pitching is important. We're, you know, kind of disagreeing over semantics here a little bit, (laughs) but I mean, if you think about a lot of the major, I mean, the, when the Dodgers lost the world series to the Astros, they lost it with their bullpen. The Rays went to the world series last year, having Blake Snell as you know, one of their, like he was their ace. Right. So, and I he mean, would go and five and two. But, hold on, hold on. Blake yeah. Snell and Tyler glass now is like a really, really dominant. No, 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 punch. they are, but no, but what I'm saying is like Kevin cash would not let, let Blake Snell go six innings. Right. They would pull him. He would pull him consistently after five, five and a third, stuff like that, and rely upon the bullpen. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, there were like, yes, it would be a Justin Verlander. And and of course, Verlander has pitched in the playoffs and gone eight innings on a you know, but I feel like the game is much more reliant on the bullpen yeah, yeah. in the playoffs relative to 10 or 15 years ago. So I'm just I, saying, I think if you look at any of the other 29 teams, though, they leave Blake Snell in to face the top of that Dodgers lineup again. Like, right. th- I think that was specific to the Rays. Right. The Rays. Yeah. But yeah. But then also the Royals, when they made the World Series, right, they would have their starters go five innings and then they would put in Kelvin Herrera and Danny or uh, Greg Holland the, and that, Greg Wade Holland, Davis. Right. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm just saying like the Orioles could have a formula similar to that. I'm not saying that's ideal, but I don't think, you know, it's likely that the Orioles are going to have three aces, you know, right now from what it looks like. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what you would expect. I don't think we should expect them to have three aces come up through the system is my whole thing is like, because if, if you go back and look at like, MLB pipelines, and I think they've done this, where the teams that have, like, a really high ranking, like, two or three years later, they they start, like, tracking the wins in correlation to that, and it's a very strong correlation. And then, typically, after you're really good, your, your minor league system takes a dive. The Nationals, like, a year or two after they won the World Series, I guess last year, had, like, the worst farm system in baseball. And I think, like, their, their, one, their low A team, the team in the same division as the Delmarva Shorebirds, people have said is, like, the worst team in all of minor league baseball. They get like blown out routinely. They have like, they're like the Orioles of the minor leagues because that's just what happens is you, you clean out your minor league system to strengthen your major league team. And that's what happens. So like, it's awesome that we're really good right now in the minors. And I think we should hope that in five years, we're probably not very good in the minors because that's what you do. You get guys up and then you take guys that are in low A now and you trade them, you package them and you take two or three of them and you trade them for some ace or some guy who's a two or a three. That's just what you do. I mean, of course it is important to say the great organizations find the balancing act of doing both, right? Having the great minor league system in addition to the great major league team, the Rays, the Cardinals. um, I mean, how many many world series do the championships do the Rays have though? I don't consider the Rays like some, amazing organization they've gotten to two world series and they've lost two world series because they just trade guys out i do not enjoy the Rays' model of building a baseball team they're really good right now and if they win the world series that's cool but 
I, I do not want the Orioles to be the Rays at all. Yeah. I mean, they can mm, go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing about them is I I think that the point you want to get to is where you develop a team the way the Rays do, but you sustain a team the way that, I mean, someone like the Dodgers does, You, you know, like I think the Dodgers are the perfect example of a team that both, is happy to wield money and like, don't get me wrong. I understand they've considerably more than just about anyone else besides the Yankees, but the Dodgers have a pretty dominant minor league system. You know, they've had Gavin Lux, they had Kbert Ruiz and Josiah Gray to trade for Scherzer and Turner. I, I mean, the Dodgers maintain a strong system. They've brought up what Zach McKinstry and, you know, like all these ridiculous names this year, they've had Dustin May Corey Seager came up through their system. And at the same time, you know, they like they spend the money to keep these guys around. They pay money to bring in a Mookie Betts. They do all this stuff to ensure that they stay good once they get there as well. Um, And so, you know, I think that the Rays do everything they can to build a good team every year. They just don't pay the money. Well, they do absolutely nothing to push themselves over the top. You, you know, they, they coast on being the, the team that has the most young talent and that's what they do. And yeah, I mean, I think Blake Snell is the perfect example. Like they signed him to a three-year $36 million deal, but then they said, oh, we can go get Luis Patino this year. If we trade away Snell, then that frees up $12 million for us. And like everyone was blown away when the best team in the American league went out and got Nelson Cruz this year. You know, that's something that any American league team should want to do, but they were blown away when the Rays did it because the Rays just don't spend money and don't like make those moves to turn a very, very good team into a world series winner. So I think they, and they did nothing for their rotation and they don't have Tyler glass now. And I, I mean, like, I don't know. That's my, I have issues with the way the Rays do stuff. Like I think their front office is super smart and I think they are not, it's not the front office's decision to not spend money. So I'm not going to blame like the GM or their, their front office folks on that. I think that's an ownership decision, but like, I want the Orioles to be like competitive routinely and have a decent farm system and pay guys like the Dodgers have been really good. They've also have Clayton Kershaw, who's one of the best pitchers of all time. Like it'd be cool to have that too. Like that's super helpful as well. But anyway, that's just my yeah. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, I, th- I think there are a lot of things to take away from the Rays, but I do not want Adley Rutschman to be traded away with three years of control remaining because we don't want to pay him an arbitration. Like right. that, that is the part of the Rays that you got to kick before it ever becomes a part of the Orioles. Yep, exactly. And the Rays might win the world series this year. Maybe they become like a, a dynasty or whatever, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I see that happening. Yeah, um, I, I just mentioned them because they're competitive every year and they have a great and the reason they are competitive is because they're able to maintain a stacked farm system while being competitive at the major league level. It wasn't they're not in a situation where they have to choose one or the other exactly like like the Orioles are choosing right now, the minor league system and right. like many teams kind of uh have a good major league team at the expense of their minor league system. So I was just trying to say the good teams uh, find that balancing act and are able yeah, to make no, that's totally fair. Yeah, for sure. And that would be, that would be great. And, you know, we'll, 
we'll see because there's also only so much room at the top, you know? So if the Orioles end up being one of those teams, there's going to be another team that can't be that way. You know, not every team can be a 95 win team, you know? So um, we will see, we will see. Um, But the other article we kind of wanted to talk about real quick was in the Baltimore sun where uh, they kind of just recapped sort of all the different articles that have come out nationally about uh, kind of kicking the Orioles while they're down. And it does include a quote from Keith law and he, in which he kind of defends the Orioles. And he says, it'll turn around. It's just going to take a long time. I see this national narrative and it's like, you all are just doing this because they've lost 19 in a row, you know, don't kick them when they're down, take a rational look at the situation they inherited and the decisions they've made and what direction they're heading. I think their future is brighter than the national media is making it out to be. And they're all scapegoating the Orioles for a more systematic problem in baseball, which is that it doesn't really matter if you suck. Um, are any lies told in that paragraph of text, Eli? Tyler, no lies were told. <laughs> yeah, Jesse, what do you think? Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, the everything is basically the same as it was before the season. Or, I mean, roughly, of course, we're having another terrible season. And maybe that came as some surprise to some people. But um, <laughs> everything is roughly the same. The Orioles have been doing the same. The Orioles are doing the same thing now that they were doing before the season. So nothing's really changed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the only, uh, yeah, I think the, as we've talked about, the future is bright for the Orioles. Uh, we're in a really tough division. Uh, I feel like that should have been mentioned, uh, just kind of repeated to people in previous conversations we've had about the Orioles future. Um, and there are no guarantees, of course, uh, especially given our very difficult decision with, three probably four very good teams other than uh outside of ourselves um i said that wrong but yeah uh (laughs) three or uh uh, i'm not trying to say we're good right now you know but um yeah there are three or four uh the blue jays the rays the red sox and the yankees are all very good will be for the foreseeable future so um, yeah, we're not guaranteed the division for the next several years or anything like that, but we should be competitive, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Keith Law does a good job of distilling it all down right there, which is uh, necessary because, yeah, that's kind of what I've seen people saying is that, you know, if you want to critique the Orioles, that's fine, but then come from the angle of what you would have done differently in Mike Elias's shoes. What could you have done coming into the American League East with the farm system depleted, a lack of a presence in Latin America and a, an albatross of a contract and Chris Davis on the books. Like what were the alternative routes to take to get here? Um, and, and I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you can finish. I, I, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say the, the other thing about this is as he says, this is like a systematic issue in baseball, right? The major league baseball is going in the direction of bad teams, just tanking. And Major League Baseball should uh, find a way to correct that so that teams are not encouraged and incentivized to do that. But they currently are. So the Orioles are just doing it harder and better and probably more aggressively than (laughs) most of the other teams. Yeah, I I don't know. The the one thing that I want to throw out here is, you know, we did like I wasn't cheering on Buster Olney as he was bashing the Orioles. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, on this podcast, we said multiple things to the effect of like, 
yeah, the front office does deserve some criticism because this is pathetic. You know, we were saying that before the losing streak, we were saying that during the losing streak, the fact of the matter is like this Oriole team at the major league level right now could be, you, you know, could be much better and like could be at just a more reasonable level of bad while still getting a top five pick. You know, we've had that mm. discussion many times on here. And so I just don't want this conversation to make it sound like any of us are of the position of, no, nah, dude, it's totally okay. Go for 27 losses in a row next time. You know, that's right. not where we're at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's simultaneously true that the Orioles have been, I don't know, picked on to an extent, like because, yeah, we were in the middle of this horrible losing streak. And it is a problem that extends much beyond ourselves. And, you know, there have been there have been teams that are in the middle of longer playoff droughts. There are teams that have, you know, spent less on payrolls in the last 10 years by significant amounts. There are teams that suck in their own ways. And those ways are like various and just as profound as the ways that the Orioles suck. So that that's the only thing that matters to me is like it. Yeah. It's a larger problem in baseball. Tanking is a very viable way to build a contending team right now. You know, the fact of the matter is, yeah, the Orioles got Grayson Rodriguez with the 11th pick. We got Adley with the number one. We got Colton Kowser with number five. You know, if Kerstag gets healthy, we will have gotten him with number two. And, you know, and that's the reason we got that number one rating that they just talked about um, from MLB pipeline of our farm system. So, yeah, right now, just being terrible is a viable way to get good. And you don't have to try very hard to be terrible. You don't have to spend money to be terrible. And so GMs and front offices love being terrible. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, the owners love being terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. The problem is not the Orioles. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, systemic changes have to be made. They've talked this week about introducing a salary floor. I'm not sure if that totally does the job because then you can just sign bad contracts to get to the salary yeah. floor and, and still still tank. I don't know. But I do want to give a shout out to, to Joe Poznaski in The Athletic for just, just the worst take of the week um, where he, he talked about uh, the Orioles being bad and also claims that the Royals, while also bad, are playing really hard and has a, a comment that says, I really wish baseball would reward bad teams that play well rather than punishing them by dropping them in the draft. You're telling me the Baltimore Orioles who are tanking like nobody's watching deserve a higher pick than the Royals who have kept plugging away and clawing and fighting, even though the season was lost months ago. Teams should have a chance to play their way out of mediocrity rather than lose their way out of mediocrity. Now, I mean, okay, sure. They can play their way out of mediocrity. That's, that's fine. But to say like, the Royals are like losing with style, so they should get a better pick. Yeah. The, the Royals are also really bad. They just also are in the worst division in baseball. Right. So they get to win more games. The Orioles have played the Royals head to head, and the Orioles took two out of three from the Royals. The or- then he, he quotes in here about the Royals have beaten the Astros in three out of four lately. The Orioles swept the Astros. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's like the most pointless. You can handpick teams all you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just awesome that 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 guy gets paid to write articles for The Athletic. So that's cool. Um, But yeah, anyway, the losing sucks. I'm glad it's over. Yes, baseball should do something about the tanking. But like, 
There's other teams tanking. There's other, the pirates are tanking at the same time. The, the diamondbacks, I don't know if they're tanking. They're just really bad, but like, it's not just the Orioles. It's, it's a problem as law points out there. So just pick a new person to pick on. And just to be clear, none of the players are tanking, right? right. So that's just an important observation too. We're not suggesting that the players are going out there and trying to lose. Right. It would make no sense to do that. Um, all right, let's talk some infield stuff. Some things have happened this week. Uh, Michael Franco has willingly or uh, willful. What's the word I'm looking for? Finally, I don't know. Michael Franco has been DFA'd and he has cleared waivers <laughs> shockingly and been granted his release. Richie Martin's been optioned. Jemai Jones has finally been recalled along with okay. Kelvin Gutierrez. Um, Eli, you were saying like, as we were going through the, the uh, outline earlier, like God, Franco was just so bad. Um, do you have any yeah. parting thoughts for Michael Franco? <laughs> I wish him the best, but um, <laughs> yeah, I wished him gone for a long time too. So I, uh, I'm glad he's gone. Uh, I'm excited to see which of my Jones can do in particular. And that's all I got short and sweet. Yeah, Jesse, I mean, I, I you can kind of comment on any infield stuff you want. I think the Martin option is kind of interesting because he just wasn't doing very well. But I don't know. What, any thoughts on the infield shakeup? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a little short of an experiment with Richie Martin this year. Uh, obviously, we had him for an entire year, which was rather long. Uh, <laughs> but uh no, but yeah, I mean, he hadn't been here that long. So it was weird that he had gotten basically uh, called up at the expense of Jemai Jones only to shortly after B option. So that was a little strange, I'll say. Um, but yeah, Jemai Jones is up and uh, that this is the guy that we've been waiting to see. He's gotten off offensively off to a little bit of a rough start, but I'm not too worried about it just because um, he's, these are his first games for the Orioles. So it's going to take a a little bit for him to settle in, but defensively he's made some nice plays. So that's been good to see too. So that's encouraging because that's what we were told he was down there for was to work on his defense and it seemed to do the trick. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It'll be, it'll be good to see Jones play a little bit and Mateo and Urias. I think the Orioles finally have found maybe what the best infield solution is for this season. So that's, That'll at least be something to watch for the last month of the year. Um, Other moves, Chris Ellis was claimed off waivers from the Rays. I think we already touched on Chris Ellis for a second. He pitched in that game that the Orioles broke the streak, tossed a couple innings. Um, Eli, any expectations for Chris Ellis or any thoughts on what you saw in that first game maybe? No? Okay. (laughs) uh, Chris Ellis will not be on the team in 2022. Wow, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I I, I just – I, I think don't, gone. Yeah, I don't know if he has any options or anything. So that could, that always plays into it, but yeah, I mean, you, know probably that, not uh, you remember all the commercials for flex tape? It's like, yes. you know, they cut a hole in some bucket boat, that's leaking yeah. water mm-hmm. everywhere. And this guy just slaps something on it. Chris Ellis is flex tape. He just gets slapped on to plug the hole and hopefully something better will come along next year. And some quadruple A guy that we've been talking about will step up in spring training. So are you saying flex tape is not a long-term solution for a hole in a bucket? Uh, that is correct. Maybe, oh, wow. yeah. It's more we, like scotch tape. We might be getting sued. Then flex tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's true. I bought I bought a thing of flex seal one time. Uh, <laughs> did not work. 
the, the really? water the water came through anyway so i uh <laughs> i co-signed that well um, you heard it here first <laughs> come to the warehouse pod for all of your you know your household needs yeah i mean i guess we can throw the the chances of a flex seal sponsorship out the window at this point i guess so <laughs> uh jesse any thoughts on ellis at all no no it's it's just <laughs> no the thing is it's just uh, a continuation of the long lines, the long uh, line of moves that the Orioles have made that are completely uninspiring and <laughs> to I, I mean, I'm serious uh, to fix this rotation. I mean, it's we get this guy, you know, he's one of these guys who at this point is not really stretched out to be a starting pitcher. He had to go three innings. I mean, it's it's just very uh, he's not uh, a guy with a high ceiling or somebody that we expect uh, to really have any potential long term impact. And it's 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 uh, a continuation of the frustrating moves that have uh, and the revolving door that has been the starting rotation this year. Yeah, I mean, I will say at this point in the year, it's tough to do anything other than wa- waiver claims because the trade deadline's passed. There's no longer the non-waiver or the waiver, whatever, the waiver trade deadline. So, like, this is pretty much all they can do. I did just check. He is 28 years old. He'll be 29 in, in September. He does have all three of his options left. So, I could see him maybe sticking around and they let somebody go that doesn't have options. But, uh, yeah, I mean, probably not the long-term answer there. Uh, Jorge Lopez, this is kind of a big one, has been moved to the bullpen full time. Looks like that's going to happen for the rest of the year. And I think this is long overdue. Um, Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first to talk about Lopez. Um, You know, what do you think about this in general? Obviously, it kind of creates a hole in the rotation to an extent. But I think maybe we'll get the chance to see the absolute best that Jorge Lopez has to offer. Um, What do you think about this move of, of Lopez to the bullpen? Yeah, well, we've definitely talked about this possibility for a long time. I think the Orioles were hesitant to do it just because they were so desperate for starting pitching because he did have he does. You know, he's a very talented pitcher, has a lot of upside. Um, So the the Orioles were trying desperately to make it work in the rotation. But clearly, I think most people paying attention were aware that uh you can maximize his potential by finding him uh, a bullpen uh, role. And um, yeah, I think, I think that this is a good move uh, long-term because yes, the starting rotation might take a hit. Maybe it would even be good to have him, uh, you know, as a six starter, if we were trying to play the absolute best we were playing throughout the rest of the year, maybe it makes sense to keep Lopez as a six starter or something like that. But uh, in terms of the long-term future and, and goals for the Orioles and for Lopez and for the organization, I think much more is going to be gained by starting him now to find out where he's going to fit into this bullpen. And I definitely think we can find him a spot. Okay. Yeah. I, I, one thing I thought about earlier today was that he's actually first time arbitration eligible this off season. So Eli, if, if Lopez goes out and does a really nice job in the bullpen, maybe not, he's not like, you know, a Craig Kimbrell out there, but he's like, you know, a solid three ERA kind of bullpen pitcher. Uh, given kind of his history, you think the Orioles offer him arbitration and kind of try to give him a whole year of a, of a, I don't know, demonstrating what he can do in the bullpen next year. 
Uh, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with Jess that like the best spot for him would be like a sixth man in the rotation or anything. I think like a straight bullpen role is really the way that I see him at this point. But you know, he's got like he's got the electric fastball. I mean, and if he can come in, he can play that up a couple miles an hour. You know, the 94, 95 goes from 97, 98, something like that. And, you know, he can keep working the good curveball he has. His changeup actually, like, showed plus a couple times this year. If he can work all that and do it and play it up in shorter stints, you know, I, like Tyler's been saying since the beginning of time that Jorge <laughs> Lopez, <laughs> like, just should not be facing lineups multiple times. So you, you get him and you put him in a position where he's got to face, you know, six hitters in two innings. And I think, yeah, there's a very, very good chance he just rolls through that. And I think that if this month-long experiment goes well, I think he goes from a pretty clear non-tender candidate to, yeah, somebody we might keep around. Yeah, and I don't think the raise would be that high. Maybe he'd get like a million dollars next year. I don't think it's going to be crazy. Jess, you wanted to jump in there? Well, I was just going to say, like, for me personally – uh, I feel like uh, Jorge Lopez would be a better starter than Chris Ellis. So that's what I, I guess I'm trying to say is I think that oh. he is a better starting option than some of the pitchers we have there right now. Okay. I, I thought just because you said six man, you were talking about like adding him in there along with the people we have. And like, yeah. I, yeah. As a starter, he just doesn't do anything to me. Like, Right. There's no long term benefit to having them start. But I think that if the Orioles were trying to like win and do everything to win games, I think it could make sense to have them in the rotation still. But get him like an whatever. extra day of rest yeah. or whatever. whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's not worth fighting about because the Orioles aren't <laughs> trying to win. Right. <laughs> Very true. Um, Less positive news for a pitcher. Cesar Valdez has been DFA'd and cleared waivers, and he is with Norfolk now. So still in the organization, could come back. Sort of a sad day to see Cesar Valdez be DFA'd there, Eli, but kind of inevitable at this point. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was super fun. Like, I had a great mm -hmm. time with him. I hope he can figure something out, but... Yeah, I, I guess, you know, once Major League teams saw him for, you know, a full season and they said, well, okay, all he's doing is throwing change-ups, so fine. You know, sure, <laughs> that works great. And right. kind of, you, you know, it was a gimmick and it was an effective one for a little while, but in the Major Leagues, you know, all the best pitchers are constantly refining themselves, constantly evolving to a certain extent, and they're evaluating their own holes their own weaknesses and they're closing them up and the fact of the matter is you know Valdez was kind of a one-trick pony and they cued in on it and he started getting hit really hard all the time so I, yeah so my take on this so first of all just as I feel like it's a little harsh and to and you've said it in the past, so that that's why I'm commenting on it this time. But calling it a gimmick, I don't know. It feels a little harsh to me, and it kind of seems like you know you are kind of taking away some of the the ability that he does have. He's not up there like lobbing the ball in like a 38 miles an hour, like some uh, position player did 
and just lobbing it with no skill, no talent. Like Cesar Valdez, when he was good, had the movement, kept the ball down in the zone, you know, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah. So I'm just saying, I feel like whatever. I, I just have a negative reaction to that term. Anyways, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to keep, but I'm going to keep moving along. I mean, I think the Orioles made the move knowing, I think in part, uh, obviously, I don't think the Orioles, if they lost Cesar Valdez, I don't think they would be devastated. Um, but I think they made the move knowing that he would be able to stay in the organization. He accepted the AAA assignment. Um, he's not going to be on the team for the rest of the year, but hopefully maybe the Orioles think, give him an off season. Maybe he can go figure something out, go come up with a new idea and find some way to be effective. So I know the Orioles are not banking on this, not, but I think it's a possibility and um, who knows. So he had to, in order to be successful at all, he had to be innovative and creative and figure something out. So hopefully he can do it once more, but um, yeah, it's kind of sad. And uh, it's, it's the harsh part of baseball uh, because I feel like, all the fans liked him a lot um, and he did his thing. I mean, for the, the short time period that he did. So <laughs> yes. yeah, there was uh, a longer time period where he was not doing his thing. Yes. And the fans will remember that not so fondly. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there was last, last season too, though. I know. Yeah. I mean, what I will say is his ex-FIP is only 3.68 this year, so it's actually not too bad compared to his 5.76 ERA. And he had some fly ball home run, like bad luck. He allowed 20.5% uh, of his home runs went – or fly balls went for home runs, whereas last year he didn't allow any home runs. So that was kind of sort of the change this year. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he figures it out. He's 36 years old. I'm not expecting this to be some, like – him to be an integral part of the next good Orioles bullpen, but you know, good luck Cesar. Hopefully you figure things out in Norfolk uh, all elsewhere in the bullpen. Connor green, Eli's guy is back and has already pitched one time and been pretty good. Uh, clearly the Orioles see something in him to get him back for the second time this year. He spent, I guess, two weeks with the Dodgers and he's back with the O's. I mean, Eli, what, what does this say to you about the Orioles claiming him again? Um, I think it was, Dan Connolly or one of the Orioles beat writers who said it, but it says to me that Connor green is racking up some frequent flyer miles. Yeah. Um, That's fair. But <laughs> no, in all seriousness. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the Orioles like what he has. It's clear that he's just got an electric fastball and has no idea where it's going. So they're doing <laughs> what they can to keep him around in the hopes that he will figure it out. And I'm sure they've been trying to refine his mechanics, make him a little more repeatable, um, and I'm sure they're refining his secondary stuff as well. And I think the Orioles are going to keep him on the major league roster in hopes that this offseason he's theirs and exclusively theirs and they'll have some yeah. more time to work with him. Um, yeah, I, I, the fact that we brought him back, you know, shows a high level of interest in the part of the Orioles, I think. And I think it raises some questions about what he'll come out with in spring training um, in a good way. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it has me intrigued. You know, I had been a big fan when I saw him in spring training and then I saw him in the majors and I was kind of like, you know, and now <laughs> those questions are coming back in a good way. So I'm curious to see what he's got. Yeah. I mean, and the Dodgers were interested enough to keep him on their 40 man for a while. Jesse, you, you wanted to add to that? 
Well, I was just going to say, uh, I was just going to say Tyler joked around about how the Dodgers must have fixed them, but uh, uh, <laughs> before the podcast, but um, no, I was, I, I was just going to make the exact point that you made about how the Dodgers were interested in them and they kept them on the 40 man and the Dodgers are great. So if he's good enough for the Dodgers 40 man for two weeks, I feel like he's good enough for the Orioles. <laughs> I mean, I will say the Dodgers have had a ton of injuries on their pitching staff. Um, so that could have been part of it, but yeah, I mean, we'll go with that for sure. Um, our last note we want to talk about is rosters are expanding in September, obviously, which is only a couple of days away, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, rules are a little bit differently different now than they were a couple of years ago. They no longer expand to 40, but they expanded 28, which is two extra players. Um, so the Orioles are going to get two extra guys. Uh, it might not be super exciting. I don't think Adley Rutschman's going to be coming up. Um, Eli, do you have your eyes on anybody in particular to be called up in September? You know, I, I'll give, I think I'm going to talk now. Um, I think <laughs> that the, I think the two that are going to come up are Bauman and Bannon. Uh, I think like they just seem the right combination of age. Bannon's been getting really hot. Bauman has been healthy for a little while and he started throwing a little bit better. So I think they make sense. Um, one that just kind of like piques my interest. He's been kind of popular. Uh, I think Steve Molesky wrote an article about him is this dude, Felix Bautista. Uh, mm -hmm. He started the year in high a and he's allowing like two point something hits per nine. He just, strikes out a ton of people he's like six foot eight like 290 270 pounds just enormous dude throwing extremely hard and i don't know it sounds pretty fun to add that to the bullpen <laughs> so a small part of me hopes that happens uh but that being said i think it'll be bannon and bauman okay uh jesse anything similar there yeah i mean i'm not as convinced uh by bannon um just because i <laughs> To the extent that this that this is like based on merit and stuff, I don't know if a two week span, you know, should get you that promotion. I know it's not a full promotion. It's a call up promotion. But um, so I don't know about that. But uh, I definitely think I'm going to be very, very upset if Ballman is not on this team in September. OK, that's interesting. I mean, because Ballman's had some injury stuff this year. He got roughed up a little bit, I think, the last time he pitched, or maybe it was two times ago. Let me look at some of his numbers here recently. But, I mean, you know Bauman's been my guy for a while. Right. Yeah, to, to me, I think, like, if Bauman doesn't make it up, you know, yes, this would be partially due to injuries, but it would feel like completely just a lost year. Um, I, I think all of us were expecting him to – kind of be popping in and making spot starts for the Orioles come like, I don't know, May or so, you, you know, I thought that we all kind of envisioned him as somebody who would be in the rotation rotation, so to speak of Aiken, Kramer, Wells, Lothar, all those guys, you know, we, we, we had him as part of that group. And so even if it's purely just because the injury has held him back and he's taken a while to get his form and everything, It'd just be kind of disappointing if this were a completely lost year in that sense, and he doesn't make his debut this year. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at his, at his game logs now. His last start actually was on the 24th where he went five shutout innings, struck out five and walked three. So that was actually pretty darn good. And his batting average against in AAA this year looks like it's 186 if I'm looking at the right number. So that's pretty good. Um, sure. Yeah, I'll go with Bauman getting called up. <laughs> I, I could also see because what's going on right now is like Hunter Harvey his like rehab is keeps getting kicked back. And I could see it being like Hunter Harvey is just the call up, which is not necessarily a call up, but just like the guy from the pitching side, which not super sexy, but I could see that being the move. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as far as the, on the infielder or like the hitter side, I think Bannon does make the most sense. I think it's either Bannon or McKenna, which again, McKenna, not super sexy. We've seen him about, I mean, he's very sexy. He's a hot guy. I'm not going to say that, but as far as like adding to the roster, um, not super interesting. The only other element of it could be like starting service time where with McKenna, you wouldn't be doing that. Whereas with Bannon, you would be, although is Ryland Bannon really the kind of prospect we care about starting service time with? I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, yeah. But just to be different, I'll say that it's very boring and ends up being Hunter Harvey and Ryan McKenna that come yeah, up. That is that is just <laughs> unbelievably boring. That's a nightmare scenario. It's so boring, I mean... yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But What a demoralizing just... way to end the year. <laughs> it, it could be different. It could be different. We'll keep an eye out. Yeah. We'll be sure to complain about it next week if, uh, if that happens. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. All right, so let's before we get out of here, do the Oriole of the week. Last week's Oriole was Ryan Flaherty. Uh, this week, if you're not familiar, what we do is we give you three facts about a current or former Oriole, and then you all interact with us on social media to tell us who you think it is, and we give you a shout out. Again, Brady came through with Ryan Flaherty almost immediately, almost only hours after I posted the episode. We got a DM from Brady saying that it was Ryan Flaherty. So Brady, thank you for your continued uh, listenership. We appreciate it. Um, so here are the three facts about this week's player. The first fact is that they threw a no hitter against the Atlanta Braves at Turner field on April 17th, 2010. Jesse is just asleep at He's, the wheel. Sorry. He was texting. My That's bet. just unbelievable. It's like, we're All recording right, hold on, hold on. a podcast. Can, wait, wait, wait. Just, <laughs> no, you don't even know can, what's happening. I'm wait. reading the second fact Can you now, just, no, you I know what it is. Fact. No, <laughs> you have to tell the third That's, fact about me. That's what's happening. <laughs> we're leaving it in. We're leaving it Why? in. Because the fans deserve to know who they're dealing with here. If they want to subscribe to the Warehouse Pod, they have to love us and every facet of us. Exactly. Exactly. He's rolling his eyes. It's a, All right, I'm reading, it's a cult. I'm, reading, I'm reading the second fact. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm reading the second fact. All right. He had the lowest ERA in MLB history through 11 starts in that same 2010 season. His ERA was 0.78. Admittedly, we are unsure if that record still holds, particularly with what Jacob deGrom was doing this year. That's true. Um, but yeah, lowest ERA in MLB history through 11 starts with 0.78. And uh, this is more personal to Eli, but he also has a degree from Florida Tech where Eli went to school. Yeah, well, <laughs> Eli was supposed to be the one reading that. So, <laughs> Yeah, but Jesse messed up the order and then his, his mic was muted. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Everything. Um, but yeah, that is it for the show this week. Uh, Tyler, what are we Tyler, are you even going to post this episode after what Jesse just did? Oh, I'm posting it. Are we just scrapping the whole thing? 
no we can't do that we we keep we, errors we should, in sometimes we should just quit podcasting that's what we should really do i know we're the first person to ever accidentally talk on mute it's never <laughs> happened before um all right so what are we going to talk about next week who are the Orioles playing they've got the rays right now then what they've got is it the yankees what do we got going on here gotta tell the people what the Orioles are doing sounds Usually. like the beginning of a new losing streak well, we're winning right now as we record. So chill. we are. That's oh, yeah. good. Three to one. It's huge. It's huge. Chris John John Means comes through again. Yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't even say that. It's John Means Day. Happy Happy John's Me. Yeah. To quote all of Orioles Twitter, Happy mm-hmm. John Means Day to those who observe. It's it's been not as celebratory the second half of the year, but he's yeah. was pretty good today. Um, so the Orioles wrap up this series with the Rays. Then they head to Toronto. They're going to be back in Canada for the yep. first time in two years for a three game set there. And then they go to the Bronx for three. And then we should have another episode out for you after or sometime around the end of that series. So that's it. Um, the what Blue is struggling, think? so we could we could get something there. Absolutely. Uh, and the Yankees lost today after winning like thirteen in a row, so they're slumping all of a sudden. <laughs> How many wins you guys feeling? Oh, um, I mean, including tonight? No, not including tonight. Oh, so just so over the next five. One, yeah, I'll say uh, one. One more against the Rays on the 29th. Okay. And then, yeah. And then three. three. Oh, so six, no, seven, oh, seven games. Seven games. So I'll, I'll say, I'll say one. One win. Wow. Yeah. I'll say two. I think they get one in, one one in Toronto and one in New York. You sounded like, oh my gosh, you're I, what what a horrifying prediction you're predicting. The Orioles only you. win one go- game. You're so pessimistic about the Orioles. Okay, I'm gonna say two games. You, I picked. I did twice as many as you. That's a lot. Yeah, hundred percent more. I think I'm also gonna say two. Oh, um, I, well, no, that's fine. Yeah, I think we're. Losing tomorrow at the Rays, and I think we get one in each series. Okay. It's reasonable. I like that pick, Eli. It's a very smart pick. Thanks, Tyler. (laughs) I will say, if we win two, I feel like we're going to win two against Toronto, not one against the Yankees. Why? The Orioles own Yankee Stadium. You know what, Jesse? You don't get to not pick two (laughs) and then critique my two pick. Exactly. Okay. You, you sit over there with the rest Bye. of the ones, and we're gonna you're, keep rolling high with us too. You're such a biased New Yorker now. You think the Yankees can't lose all of a sudden? Is that what you think? What? Yeah, that's fan. that's exactly what I think. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's been going undercover. He infiltrated Orioles Twitter and I, Orioles I, podcasting. And I just want to this whole time. Yeah, I do just want to say, like, when I moved to New York, everyone said, "Oh, you're gonna be a Yankee fan now," and never ever will i ever be a yankee fan no matter how long i live here and um yeah i will always be an oriole fan so we appreciate it like yeah definitely i'm, yeah, I'm that's, not that's, that's exactly <laughs> what an undercover yankee fan would be. i know right i was gonna say that's a lot less likely than the story you just told I, i'm sure yeah <laughs> All right, well, if you want to support a real Orioles podcast, what you can do is you can go on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. That would be awesome. Uh, If you don't do that, you can at least subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. That could be Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at underscore, or I'm sorry, at the warehouse pod. I was ready to get my stuff. Uh, you can follow me. I guess I'll just give mine uh, at underscore Ty Young on fa- on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Eli, what about you? I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. And Jesse, as he pushes the microphone to his eyeball for reasons we aren't aware of. <laughs> we are blowing Jesse up. <laughs> you can you can find me at Juggernaut eight six seven eight J U G G E R N A U T eight six seven eight on Instagram and Twitter. Nice, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think. Oh, the other thing is go to Substack.com, the WarehousePod.substack.com, and you can join our mailing list, and you'll get the email. Uh, you'll get the podcast rather sent right to your email inbox rather than to your uh, podcast platform. If you want to do things that way, um, check it out. But all right, folks, that is all we've got for today. Uh, until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. <laughs>